portions of KDKR's daily programming do not necessarily reflect the views of the management or staff. Prudent Money with Bob Brooks is sponsored by the Prudent Money Foundation on 91.3. So how do we misthink money? Today we're going to take a look. Stay tuned for Prudent Money. Good afternoon. This is Bob Brooks, and you are listening to the Prudent Money Radio Show. Thank you so much for joining me today. You know I do appreciate it. So how do we make better decisions regarding money? Author Jeff Chrysler is here to talk about a book he co-authored titled Dollars and Cents, How We Mistake, Misthink Money and How We Spend Smarter. Jeff, welcome to Prudent Money. Hi, it's good to be here. You know, I think you, you kind of sum it up at the beginning of the book where you say, the truth is making bad money decisions is a hallmark of humanity. We're fantastic at messing up our financial lives. And uh, why are we so hardwired as humans to make mistakes with money? Well, the big reason is not just about financial decisions, but almost every decision we make, we tend to make irrational choices. We tend to not acknowledge the emotions, essentially, the uncertainty that goes into these decisions. Um, and if there's one takeaway, I want to give it right up to the top, anybody just tuning in, uh, it's that everyone has a hard time making mm. good financial decisions. Right. Everyone makes mistakes. You know, I speak to groups of you know, financial advisors who you know, tell people with big portfolios how to spend their money, and they're good at telling other people what to do with their money, <laughs> but they make the most mistakes with their own. Sure. Even people that know what they're supposed to do, they still tend to fall for traps because, you know, when it comes to like planning for retirement or saving for college, you know, that's thinking about your future. That's a personal, emotional thing with so much uncertainty. And instead of really, you know, struggling through and fighting through that uncertainty and trying to come to a rational decision, we humans tend to go for that easy, emotionally satisfying sort of shortcut or, or trap or, or bias or pit. Different terms are out there for it. Um, that make us feel like we're making the right decision, even if we're not actually doing that. One of the things you point out in the book, you know, to correct this misthinking about money, the go-to answer to the problem is always financial education or financial literacy. Yet, you know, that is far from the message of your book. What is it that you want to teach the reader? I want the reader to understand that um, there are mistakes that we make that have to do with human nature. And we can't change human nature. But if we understand our human nature mm. and why we make certain mistakes, then we can use our human nature to get ourselves and our family and our friends or clients to better outcomes. We can use our human nature for our own good instead of having our human nature used against us. And I find them much about financial literacy, and I don't want to paint the whole thing with a, with a bad picture. There's some good points, but much of traditional financial literature – is trying to change people's human nature, trying to make someone who um, doesn't save and doesn't think about the future on a daily basis, make that person into someone who does, right? change who they are, instead of creating systems where we use our human flaws to get to better outcomes, right? instead of making it you know, so that things like saving are done automatically, continuing to force us to go against like what our emotions and our human nature tell us to do. So uh, the, the big takeaway is Everyone makes mistakes. It's human nature. And let's look at what each of the readers 
does that is a, a rational mistake and then find ways to create systems so you get to better choices and better outcomes. Yeah, you know, I think it comes down to know thyself and uh, what, what our tendencies yeah. are. And really, and this is what I really like about the book, is that it teaches you to view money from a different lens and teaches you to be a better decision maker. And the truth is, and I think you'll agree, Jeff, we are really, uh, we, we already said this actually, but we really are pretty bad decision makers when it comes down to it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, that's... <laughs> Again, I'll, I'll, I'll drop it up, but that's okay. You know, so many people have like a shame around making poor financial decisions. You know, we don't talk about financial decision making. We don't talk about money really, or, or if we do, it's about how much you earn and spend, not how much you save and invest. Um, because there is a shame. We feel like everyone else knows what they're doing, uh, and the truth is that that's not true. Right? That not everyone knows what mm -hmm. they're doing. Um, so you know, we tend to make a ton of mistakes, whether it's falling for sales or failing to save or it's buying brand names or uh, you know, it's falling for flowery language. I mean, there's a whole list of things that we cover in the book, and there, there are even more um, that are out there and being studied by great folks uh, across the industry and out around the world. Um, but there are so many traps. Um, some of them are things we, we set for ourselves, and some of them are things that are set for us by marketers, uh, people that are trying to separate us from our money. You know, the, I'm glad that you do point that out because it's so it's funny. Anytime that I talk to somebody, they act as if they're the only people who are behind for retirement or they're the only one that made the mistake. And I, I mean, I know myself, I think back to starting in my 20s, how many mistakes that I made and uh, how many I still mistakes that I still make. And I, you know, I talk about these things on the radio. So it's, it's, uh, it is, it is human nature. Yeah. Well, you, you write about casinos and bad financial decision making. Talk about the example of casinos and bad decision-making when it comes to money? Well, a casino is rife with all sorts of opportunities to make bad decisions, <laughs> um, intentionally so. I mean, casino designers um, are sort of some of the great uh, psychologists of our time. Uh, you know, you go in there and um, it doesn't feel like you're spending money. Right? You get a, a chips, little plastic chips. It's, it's a game you're playing with your money. Um, one of the principles we talk about and I think affects a lot of people is something called the pain of paying. How when we pay for something, it stimulates the same region of our brain as physical pain. Now, what that should do in a normal environment is it should make you stop and think, is this a good decision? Right? You put your hand on the stove, that pain makes you look at your hand and stop and think, is that what I should do? You, know, you, you break your leg, that pain makes you think, oh, I should go to a doctor. So money, when you hand over cash, it's a, it's a painful experience. Um, what a casino does is they go to the other extreme. It's not cash, it's not checks or credit cards or even Apple Pay. It's a little plastic coin, right? a little red plastic coin that's $50 or $10. And so it doesn't even feel like we're paying money. Uh, it feels like we're playing a game. And that's a positive fun thing. It's, it's the opposite of pain. So we tend to fall into a trap where we stop thinking that this is a good decision. Um, now, I should say, you know, for, for people that are able to control themselves, going and having fun and deciding I have this budget to spend at a casino, I don't want to you know, suggest that people should sit at the blackjack table and think about their retirement every time they said <laughs> or try to double down. <laughs> uh, but for those that aren't conscious that this is what's happening, you need to be, understand that that's the, the trap that you could fall into. Jeff, so that's is one it, example. I, um, Go ahead. You know, they they change the environment, right? You, there's no clocks. There's a lot of sound. There's free drinks, and we know how alcohol, you know, changes our our decision making skills. Um, everything about a casino is designed to sort of get us feel to feel like we're not spending money, even as we are. 
Jeff is co-author of a great book called Dollars and Cents, How We Misthink Money and How to Spend Smarter. If you want more information about Jeff, you can go to his website, www.jeffchrysler.com. That last name is spelled K-R-E-I-S-L-E-R. You know, Jeff, opportunity cost is a concept that most people can relate to, yet we often don't consider it when we spend money, and you write it should be an important part of the decision-making process. You know, talk about that. Sure. Well, you know, if we were perfectly rational people, perfectly uh, economically rational people, every financial decision you're supposed to weigh the opportunity cost. And what that is is basically what else you could do with that money you're about to spend now or any time in the future. And, you know, Susie Orman's classic "Don't buy your five-dollar latte every day" is because the opportunity cost, in, from her perspective, is you could put that in a you know interest-bearing account and retire by the time you're 23, whatever. First of all, my opinion, get the latte, enjoy your life. But she's on to something that that's money you could spend doing something else. Um, and that's how we should think about financial decisions, right? We're going to buy a, maybe a new car. We should think about what else we could do with the money. But the truth is we don't, right? That's just too hard to think about. Like what could you spend money on now or any time in the future? That's impossibly challenged. That's just, just overwhelming. Uh, so we fall for shortcuts. Uh, and, and the truth is, I'm like we even come close to thinking about the opportunity costs. Uh, my my co-author, Dan Ariely, who's a wonderful, brilliant man. Everyone, listeners should check him out. Um, he took some students of his graduate students to a Honda dealership, and he asked people at the Honda dealership, "Hey, you're about to spend thirty thousand dollars on a Honda. What else could you spend that on?" Right? Essentially, saying, "What's the opportunity cost of this purchase?" The people couldn't answer at all. They kept pushing them. What else could you spend thirty grand on? What else? What else? What else? And they couldn't answer. They couldn't answer. And finally, people would say, "Well, if I don't spend thirty thousand on a Honda, I could spend thirty thousand on a Toyota." <laughs> now, that's not a different choice. Right? That's not the opportunity. That's a different brand, but it's still the car. People can't get out of their own head to think about what are the opportunity costs. Right? They didn't think, "Oh, that's you know, uh, a, a few nice vacations with my family. That's maybe retiring a, a half a year earlier." Now, that's a couple items out of a fancy hotel mini bar, right? They couldn't think about what else thirty grand could be, um, and that's what we should do. Uh, but of course, we're not. As I said at the top, we're human. Um, so what ends up happening instead of doing that really hard, heavy cognitive thinking, that heavy like imagining everything else you could spend money on, we fall for the easy traps, right? We fall for the sale prices. Uh, we fall for uh, you know all, all sorts of whether again it's marketing gimmicks or things we do to ourselves. Um, and, you know, that, that opportunity cost, it's like, again, to the pain of paying, I mentioned. The pain of paying, when you feel that pain, is a moment when you should stop and think of the opportunity cost. What else I could be doing? But in the casino, we numb it. When we use credit cards, we numb it. When we use all this different financial technology, we numb that pain, which serves the purpose of making us not consider the opportunity cost. You know, Jeff, I love the story about J.C. Penney, CEO Ron Johnson. I remember this campaign deciding to get rid of the bargains and price everything fairly. What was it about the consumer and spending decisions that he missed creating a really negative uh, consumer reaction? Yeah, that's a, the, the story of Ron Johnson getting hired at JCPenney is, is a great one because, um, you know, JCPenney, for listeners, matter know, their, their whole business model was essentially having a ton overpriced items on the retail list, but then a ton of sales, whether it was something online or, or at the store um, or things at checkout. And so everything was always, a, uh, there's a sale available. And what this really played into is something that the principle of relativity, uh, how people will, um, again, when they can't weigh the opportunity cost, they'll, they'll go for sale prices. Because you know when you approach um, 
a $60 sweater that used to be $100, people will buy that $60 sweater more often than just the $60 sweater because they'll look at that $60 sweater that's marked down and, and you know, on its own, a $60 sweater, how do you know if it's worth it? Right? How do you weigh whether or not that's what you should spend your money on? But you know that a $60 sweater is better than a $100 sweater. Not only that, you feel like, oh, I'm saving $40. You feel like you found something good. It's literally like a little shot of dopamine that makes you feel good. Um, and so what JCPenney's business model uh, was, was was providing people this emotionally satisfying experience of finding all of these sales, of feeling like they're saving money, which, of course, we know they're not. Right? They're still <laughs> spending that $60. But it played into that when people didn't know whether or not something was a good purchase. They found a sale price. They felt like I did the right thing. They felt good about the whole experience of shopping there. Um, so what Ron Johnson did is he came in as a new CEO and said, Yo, this is stupid. Right? Why are we fooling around with these fake prices uh, you know, to get people then look for sales? Let's just give it the, the, the fair and square price, the bottom line, what it is like our rivals. Uh, and they did that, and all of their customers left. Because yes, on a very like look at the economics and the graphs and the data, the, the, it was a better financial situation for shoppers, but it wasn't a better emotional one. In fact, it was a worse emotional one. It was, it was as if like someone that they loved had suddenly changed into like someone else, a cold-hearted accountant. And so people left. They eventually they fired Ron Johnson, brought in someone else who reinstituted all, reinstituted all the little sales gimmicks, and everybody came back and loved it again. <laughs> um, and it just goes to show again how much emotion plays into mm, our financial right. decisions. Right? I bet if you. If you looked at a shopping cart of, a, of someone going to JCPenney during the sale gimmicky time, uh, they probably will spend more than someone during the fair and square pricing because they'll miss a sale price or whatever. But the experience for them, the emotion, um, was a lot stronger and more positive uh, because of that relativity, because of the sale prices. Talk a little bit about mental accounting and how it leads us to bad decision-making. Sure. Mental accounting is, is really interesting because – what it is is it, is it shows how um, depending on how we think about the source or use of the money, we treat it differently. Uh, one of the easiest examples I give people is if you were to get a uh, from your job a year-end bonus of $12,000 versus a one-year raise of $1,000 a month, you spend that money very differently. Right? In the first case, this bonus, right? it feels like it's it's uh, extra money. It's a, it's a winning. It's a lottery. Team. It's, it's a special thing you've got. And people tend to spend the $12,000 bonus on, on luxury items. They splurge, maybe go on a vacation, buy something nice. If you give people $1,000 a month, same amount over 12 months, that money isn't spent in the same way. That money sort of feels like it's part of your regular earnings. It's part of your job. It's, it's treated seriously. So you pay off your bills and maybe you go out to dinner once or twice more a month or something like that, but you don't do the same amount of um, you know, fun spending simply by a matter of sort of how it's framed in your mind. Um, the same way when we think about our, our spending going out, right? We, we have discretionary spending, right? I'm going to go buy some shoes or go out to dinner, and then we have serious spending, uh, our, you know, our bills and our medical costs and, and our rent and our, and our utilities. Um, and we think about money very differently. And what's fascinating about mental accounting is that it is irrational. Uh, on the one hand, right? We shouldn't think that way. All of our money is the same. It shouldn't matter if we got a $1,000 from a lottery ticket or a $1,000 from a job. That's our $1,000, right? So we shouldn't do that if from a rational perspective. However, from a human perspective, it can be useful, 
Right? Again, we can't think about the, the cognitive load of how we spend our money all the time, but essentially mental accounting can become budgeting in a way. And you know, it can become, oh, I'm going to think about some money over here as my, my fun restaurant shoe money and this money over here as my serious money. Like, it can be useful. The problem is um, when we're not recognizing that we do that, when we, we forget that we're mental accounting and sort of suddenly everything becomes that fun money and we forget about the serious stuff. Um, so it's, uh, it's something to be important of, uh, excuse me, uh, to be cognizant of and to, to realize how important it is um, that where we get our money from or how we are going to use it, although we might think it doesn't impact how we treat it, it really does. This is Bob Brooks, and you are listening to the Prudent Money Radio Show. Jeff is a co-author of a great book called Dollars and Cents, How We Misthink Money and How to Spend Smarter. If you want more information, go to www.jeffchrysler.com. You, you know, Jeff, you mentioned a scenario in the book that I have always thought was interesting, and uh, it's when a person has high-interest debt with plenty of money in, a, in the bank earning nothing at all. What is it that prevents us from paying off that debt? Uh, there are um, a lot of factors uh, that, that go into play, and you know, sort of a basic thing is just uh, going back to our inability to to often think clearly about money. Um, in you know that these numbers and complexity, sometimes it feels like it's overwhelming. Um, you know, you've got an interest rate on uh, your your debt. You don't. You have a monthly payment, whatever it may be. We don't think about. Um, the, the, the long-term spending, the, the total amount of money going out of our accounts, it, it becomes overwhelming. So we sort of leave things on autopilot rather than trying to fix it. Um, there's that element. Uh, there's also you know, something that we, uh, we call loss aversion, um, which is that we feel a loss a lot more strongly than we do in a, an equivalent gain. Uh, the, the example is you know, if, you, if you lose $10, the pain of losing that $10 is only made up for by the, the pleasure of winning $20. So this makes it so that like, when we're faced with decisions, and, and some of the decisions are about parting with money versus keeping money, um, we tend to shy away from the parting with money. So even though someone might sit back and, and look at your scenario that you mentioned, you're losing all this money and you have enough to pay off your debt um, and, and not lose the interest money, what will trigger them or what they will feel is losing that money. Like I, if I can cut a check for $10,000 now and I can afford that and I'll pay off my debt and in the long run it saves me, let's say, $2,000 because otherwise with the interest I'd pay more, I don't really think about that long run. I think about the present. I think about the pain of that $10,000, not the pleasure of winning the $2,000. Um, we're just sort of wired that way to feel that pain of loss more. And the final thing I'll say in this scenario, and again, there's, there's many factors here, um, is this idea that we don't connect to the future benefit. Like we, we feel the present much more strongly than we do potential benefits in the future. This is why we have trouble saving for retirement. We have trouble dieting and exercising. And anything that helps a future version of ourselves, uh, we don't connect to that person like we do the person right now. In fact, studies show that we think of future Jeff, Jeff in 10 years, I think of that person as a completely different person. So it's like, why should I sacrifice right now for the benefit of him? Not only that, but between me and Jeff from 10 years from now is Jeff in a month and he'll start working out. There's Jeff in a year, he'll pay off his debt. Jeff in two years will eat better. Um, So doing something like paying off your debt 
uh, that will benefit us in the future is really hard for us to do because we just don't, we literally don't feel the benefit of it. And all we feel is the pain and we don't really feel why we should do it. And sure, we can stop and look at a graph and numbers and we can rationally say, oh, this is the right thing to do. But when it comes to it, we are very often uh, stopped by our emotions. You know, it's funny, Jeff, as I, as I read through the book, I would come across scenarios and go, wait a minute, that's me. <laughs> I, I, I do this all the time. I mean, it's, it's funny how it, you really peg human, uh, human nature, and it's good to be aware of it and good to be uh, that, you, that you know what uh, your tendencies are so you can make better choices. The name of the book is Dollars and Cents, How We Mistake Money and How to Spend Smarter. And if you want more information, go to jeffchrysler.com. One last question, Jeff. You know, how does worrying about fairness and effort cloud our decision making with money? Yeah. Well, there are so many products and services now, especially uh, online and, and over the internet, where we don't see the the the, um, the effort being made, and that's a good and a bad thing because what often happens is that again, when we don't know how to value something, what something is worth, we will judge the value of it and what we should pay based upon the effort that we see. Uh, and, you know, the classic example is a locksmith, right? Most people don't know what a locksmith should cost, but people will pay more to a locksmith who takes an hour to open their door, sweats and swears and breaks stuff and screams and has a hard time than a locksmith who opens a door in two minutes because they see all this effort being made and they think that's what it's worth. The truth is you're paying for incompetence, right? but you don't know. So that <laughs> you, you, substitute effort for what you believe is the correct value um, and, and what you should be paying. And, you know, this trips us off often. Um, you know, there are uh, products and marketers and, and services that are aware of, of this. You know, you, you look at um, online things like a, like a kayak or a price line, right? When, when you're looking for flights, you know, those, uh, those prices are computed instantly, but they show a little progress bar, right? They show you how hard you're working. Uh, you know, a, a car share service like an Uber, right? You open it up and you, you push a button and it uses GPS to find you. And then you see your car slowly but surely approaching you. Uh, and study after study show when we are waiting for something, if we see the progress that's being made, if we see the effort, the work that's going in, we feel like we're waiting for less time, right? The, the wait seems shorter, the value seems higher because we're seeing this effort. Um, so this is something that, you know, we want to be aware of as we, you know, approach things with flowery language or things that really overstate mm, how hard right. it was to create something. Um, now, at the same time, for businesses that, again, are going maybe start selling something online and people don't see the work, they have to show their effort somehow. So, you know, it's not always bad, uh, but it's something that on both sides of the exchange people should be um, aware of that in the absence of other measures, people will judge based on what they think the effort is that's gone on to it, right? Once again, the name cooking the meal or yeah. Go ahead. Once again, the name of the book is Dollars and Cents: How We Misthink Money and How to Spend Smarter. Jeff, so glad you got uh, that you came on the program. We really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. Dollars and Cents: How We Mistake Money and How to Spend Smarter. And he, this is a great book. It really talks about a, a lot of how we're wired. And I think once I think you realize you that. Uh, what our tendencies are, you make better decisions. And uh, over and over and over throughout the book is one thing we talk about all the time. you got to be able to control emotion when you make decisions. 
That's how we get ourselves in trouble when we make make decisions through the lens of emotion. Once again, if you want more information in that book, www.jeffchrysler.com, spelled K-R-E-I-S-L-E-R. This is Bob Brooks. If you got a question for me, please go to the website because we are all out of time. Till we do meet again next time, keep the faith and have a great rest of the day. That's all the time we have for today. Questions or comments for Bob or to find out more great information like what you've just heard, visit www.prudentmoney.com. Be sure to join Bob Brooks again for the next edition of Prudent Money.